Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. Again, without confirming the validity of the documents, this is information that has no business in the public domain. It has no business, if you don't mind me saying, uh, on the pages of uh, of uh, front pages of, of newspapers or on television. It is not intended for public uh, consumption, uh, and it should not be out there. But it is out there. When John Kirby, spokesperson, spokesman for the National Security Council, says, don't look at this, don't read this, don't report on this, uh, it's going to happen, people. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. We reported on these leaked documents yesterday, and we continue today. Stephen Yates joins me right now. He is with the America First Policy Institute. He served doing uh, national security with former Vice President Dick Cheney. He is the chair on the China Initiative for the America First Policy Institute. And first things first, these documents that have been leaked, what were they? Well, there's a, a wide range of things. And so it's sort of like when the WikiLeaks and other kinds of things were coming out, there are little pieces all around the world that can bubble up and have some unintended consequences. But the white hot focus has been on what it said about the conflict with, between Russia and Ukraine and a disclosure of some communications with allies in the Middle East and other parts of the world. Uh, about what they're doing with Russia or what they what the U.S. government wants them to be doing with Ukraine. Basically, it's airing thoughts and playbooks and assessments. And perhaps some of the most damning uh, were slides that were attributed to the Joint Chiefs of Staff or some parts of the Pentagon that might suggest some key strategic weaknesses in the capabilities of the Ukrainian military. Uh, and Disclosure of that, if true, uh, could actually be quite an incentive for Russia to push harder, faster. And it's, of course, dispiriting to those who've been building up this notion that the that the Ukrainians are on the winning side and we just need to keep momentum going forward. And yeah. at odds with what the administration has said, which is the most damning thing. Right. That that, that you, you get this recognition that uh, we've been lied to. And that um, clearly there's a push to continue that lie for a purpose other than keeping Ukraine from falling into Russian hands. So there is that acknowledgement uh, of it. But the, the, the Russia-Ukraine part is only one part of what these documents had. These documents also engaged uh, details about conversations with South Korea and conversations with, with Israel. What did those conversations entail? Well, I haven't been able to dive into all of it just yet, but there's there, with the South Korea and with Israel, basically you get into what their relationships are with other countries of concern. Uh, and there's sort of question marks about intentions and capabilities that undermine a concept of alliances. Uh, and so, uh, you know, when you have anything that goes out in public that suggests that you're asking an ally to do something very controversial that they have not discussed with their public, uh, like, what are they going to do to have weapons shipped to Ukraine, perhaps, and that other government, say Israel, 
has a delicate balance of its relations that it's trying to keep with Russia, Ukraine, and the free world, the United States included, uh, you're making life harder to be your friend. I mean, one of the most important anecdotes I was given in politics and policymaking at the outset was, don't make it hard for me to be your friend. And that this disclosure basically is making it hard for our allies to be our allies. Talking to Stephen Yates, you can actually find out more about him at AmericaFirstPolicy.com, senior fellow and chair of the China Policy Initiative. But your history, your, your understanding of, of the scene on, on, on a world stage is, is why I, I come to you. These documents, the, the, these conversations, I should say, having this intel, that's not surprising that the United States would have the, this intel. The leak is what's damning here. The idea that once again, this isn't just about Trump. I was discussing this with Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army just yesterday. This isn't about Trump. This isn't about, oh, look at the leaks under him. This is about a, a Defense Department, a Pentagon, a an apparatus that clearly has safety issues because these documents weren't just laying about. This wasn't, you know, what was going on in Joe Biden's garage next to the Corvette. Stephen, this is these were documents taken out of a skip, a secure compartmentalized information facility. Is that true? Well, there's several layers of problems that we have in our intelligence and defense decision making processes. One is overclassification. Uh, and so when you have the entire universe classified, that means that everything is important. So nothing actually gets protected. Uh, another problem we have is too many people with security clearances who don't have a need to know because, you you know, you might at some point want to make a trip. And, of course, the schedule for that trip is classified. So this Yahoo has a clearance. And then there's the added layer of tech support. There's the decision makers who need to have specialized information protected and communicated with them. And then there's the computer geeks who have to be able to make the communications world move and they have access to everything and they know how to pull together information in ways that the, the supposedly power and powerful and intelligent people at the top have no idea about. Uh, and so there's lots of areas of risk of exposure, lots of opportunity for people with agendas to get involved. Uh, and so that is one piece of this. But this there's all the earmarks of this not being an accident. Uh, and right. also the immediate reaction to suggest that some of this might have been doctored uh, is, is in some ways either disinformation from our national security leadership, which unfortunately we can't discount to say, whoa, 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 before you jump to too many conclusions, some of this is fake, but I, but I can't tell you which parts are fake. Uh, and then the other part of it is someone could have done this in a way that parts of it's fake because that's what you would do to tag information so that when it gets disclosed, you know where the leak happened because you doctor like all kinds of different versions of this. And then there's some kind of a tag in it that tells you well, now, this is the one you gave to Joe or Carol or so-and-so. Yeah, but now we're getting into, into the heavy, right? Talking to Stephen Yates, the America First Policy Institute, AmericaFirstPolicy.com. Let's just roll back just for a second. Yes, there is the, the conversation that you could leak things to see who's talking about the thing that you leaked, and it was purposefully the misinformation so you know who the leaker is. Absolutely. We, parents have been doing that to kids for, for years. We're not surprised by this one. But there's really very little doubt. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go on a limb and say there's no doubt. 
Somebody took photos. Somebody in a skiff took this information, Stephen, and decided to disseminate it. That's treasonous. True or false? No, it's just a fact. I mean, and when you get a security clearance, even a low level one, there is that training and warning and awareness. Uh, and as you get higher in security levels and into special compartments, it's even more dire. And you sign documents that basically commit you legally to protect that information in that way. And disclosing even a little bit of it, even storing it improperly, can result in dire consequences. That's kind of the origins of all these stories about top-level decision makers from presidents and cabinet secretaries and members of Congress sort of dropping documents here or there and getting picked up, even inconsequential documents being a story, because ordinary schmoes like me in the past, if we did any of this stuff, you have massive, massive legal and professional consequences. I want to talk about those massive, massive legal and professional consequences. There's the there's the idea of what this does to us foreign policy-wise. And another leak is just other nations saying, can I really trust talking to these people? This is a level of incompetence that is is kind of hard to, to, to comprehend. But I think the, the, the first part is you're the Pentagon. You are Lloyd Austin, the Secretary of, of Defense. You are President Biden. What are your first three steps here? What are you advising them to do in, in regards to this situation? How do you fix this? Yeah, well, there aren't good ways or quick ways, unfortunately, because the Pentagon and our national security decision-making entities are a behemoth. Uh, there's so many people, so many parts of it, so much information. So you kind of have, in some ways, have to go back to basics. What are truly the most damaging things that, if disclosed, could fundamentally hurt, uh, undermine, otherwise complicate America's national security-related actions, especially defense operations? Uh, and uh, my, uh, my assertion would be that too many things have been included in that category so that you're chasing too much so you're protecting nothing the way it needs to be protected. Uh, and so when it comes to sensitive conversations that a real leader is having with other real leaders around the world, that actually needs significant protection because we need people to have candid, even in some ways, salty and crazy conversations with each other to allow for influence and de-escalation or other kinds of things so we don't have to send our young men and women to war. Uh, and so we need that kind of stuff protected. But the the vast overexpansion of what is truly sensitive truly must be protected has to be has to be dealt with in a serious way uh, many have talked about it few have done it but when it comes to war planning we have many different kinds of meetings where people are dusting off war plans some of them are at middle and low levels some of them will be out in the combatant commands or regional commands any of these areas where we're talking about what would we do or what are we doing and how do we really assess an ally or an adversary, that's pretty sensitive stuff. It's not academic. And even if we're just having overpaid people pontificate, it's damaging if it's disclosed, even if there's no basis in reality for what they say. And every war, every conflict, every crisis we approach, we have people in our system who are wrong. But we need that to happen because for every 10 people you ask for, you get 12 opinions and leaders have to sort through that and make their own choice. So that part of decision making has to be protected better. The Pentagon clearly failed in this instance 
and it hit many different areas where we have real live military contingencies. I want to push back on that for a second. You just said that the Pentagon failed. I want to argue that somebody purposefully tried to hurt the country. I go about it in a, in a much different way. If, if, if we argue that the Pentagon failed, we, you could be discussing the fact that, yes, based on the conversations about the documents at, at President Trump's uh, Mar-a-Lago, the documents with Joe Biden, we overclassify everything for the purposes of overclassifying so we can prevent others from seeing things. And therefore, if everything's classified, nothing's classified. If everything's important, nothing's important. I, I don't I don't disagree with you there. But if you tell me that the Pentagon failed in this, you're talking about a process. And I question whether or not we're talking about a process or a person. A person failed in this. And the question is, how do you find them? And then do you try them for treason? Yeah. Well, I don't think they're mutually exclusive situations because if something is truly dire that could lead to massive national security consequences for our country, potential life and death consequences for our military or those of our allies, then our systems have to protect against even the one in a million chance of something getting uh, getting disclosed. Now, I, I think you're correct. In this instance, there's at least one individual who should not have done what they did. Uh, and uh, and that, that when you do that, you could be in a position of saying, look, the United States has been lying to the public uh, and we need kind of a whistleblower kind of thing to disclose. But in so doing, you are accepting that this is so dire for our country that I'm willing to bear the consequences of doing this. I'm willing to sacrifice myself in order to save many, many more other people. And this is the dilemma that you have, large or small, when you work in an appointed position in an administration. You can either resign in protest, you lose your posh position, Mm -hmm. and you risk your future career because you think something is so important that you have to push from the outside. That is what has to happen. And when you do it, you must accept those consequences. And the the consequences for this kind of stuff are, are usually a minimum of life in prison if it's really that top, top level stuff that implicates war plans or ongoing military operations. You don't, you don't, you don't uh, see there, me, uh, obviously not stuff. you don't see me getting upset about that. You don't see me getting upset about life in prison. I think there's a, a thing that happens when you're on, let's say my side of the political aisle, your side of the political aisle, you're like, Oh, this is Biden. No, oh, look at what this is really about us as a nation. The danger happens to all of us. Is there a take that you have seen, you've been talking to people uh, uh, short-term and, and long-term about what these leaks have done? Is there Are there specific nations? I brought up Israel. I brought up South Korea. Uh, we should discuss uh, the view of China on these things. Are there specific nations that will take real offense to these things? And are there nations that we have given an advantage to off the quick because of these leaks? Well, in the former category, I think a lot of our friendly allies, uh, unfortunately, have been tripped up by past leaks and other kinds of malign rumors and off-the-record conversations and things like that. Uh, And so, you know, Israel has had leaders that have been through the rough and tumble of dealing with the, the behemoth that is the United States, the shifting political sands. So have a lot of our major allies in the Middle East. In Europe, I question whether some of our allies are actually friendly. I mean, if you look at what Macron just did in going to China, 
Uh, I mean, that that was not an issue of disclosure. That was open talk of betrayal and appeasement, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, when you're t- looking at Asia, I, I, a lot of our allies there ha- have been habitually downplayed. Uh, and so uh, I don't think that they are more disadvantaged. The real problem is that second category you talked about of big malign powers who will with glee see opportunity and push ahead. Mm-hmm. And I think the Chinese Communist Party in Beijing is number one on that list. Uh, formerly known as Rocket Man, Kim Jong-un, probably wonders whether, oh, there's an opportunity here and there's no reason for me to pull back from provocation. And then you look at Tehran, uh, and of course, I think Putin sees somewhat of a green light in this. So really, it's, it's electrification of this axis of do-no-gooders that's the biggest consequence. Stephen Yates, America First Policy Institute. You can find out more about him at AmericaFirstPolicy.com. Stephen Yates, I appreciate it. We're going to be discussing the subject more because there's a lot to unpack here. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz.